please do turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16 and we'll be reading from verse 24 to 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? The Jesus I hear about today from some people outside the church, as well as inside the church, bears absolutely no resemblance to the Jesus who said those words. Those people are comfortable with a Jesus who is at their mercy, and who really doesn't ask too much of them. They like putting Jesus into a box, and only opening the box to let him out when it's so required. That Jesus is an insipid, nodding head kind of Jesus. We're the only of being on the back shelf of a car, and that's about it. But that is exactly the opposite of the Jesus who said those words from the Gospel of Matthew. The Jesus who commands obedience and sacrifice. As I look through the Old Testament, I read about how the world fell out of a living dynamic relationship with God, but I also read how a Messiah, a Saviour or Rescuer, if you like, was to be sent by God in order to restore the world back into an intimate living relationship with that God himself. And I read in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, in the New Testament, and I see this Messiah as the God-man Jesus Christ. As I read the rest of the Bible's New Testament and the history of the followers of Jesus Christ and the subsequent spread of his followers, the church, through its birth and early life, I get a wow factor about him. But for a lot of people today, including those who would call themselves Christian, their view or vision of Jesus is still too small. So I wonder, is your Jesus too small? So, firstly, who is my Jesus? As I regularly read the Bible, I see at least a six-sided portrait of him. There are many more, as I'm sure you know, but we don't have time for that today, for which you might be very thankful to hear. And the first word I would use about Jesus is that he is unique. Totally unique. Never before and never to be repeated ever, Jesus Christ is a standout person from all of history. Indeed, history is divided into B.C. and A.D., before Christ and after Christ. In all of history, Jesus Christ is incomparable and totally unique. Yet in human form we read that during his earthly ministry he had no physical beauty that would draw people to himself. We read that Jesus' body on the cross was so disfigured and tortured beyond that of all human likeness. His perfect life, his salvation work on the cross and his subsequent rising from the dead is what makes Jesus Christ unique. A, a once and for all lifetime Messiah or Saviour for the entire world. Wow! Then the Jesus I see is full of majesty and awe. He's not simply a king with a crown on his head. He is the king of all kings. This Jesus Christ did not decay in the grave. He overcame death in the grave and was raised up again majestically. Paul writes in Colossians 2 verse 3 that in Jesus Christ all the majestic treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. Jesus Christ, the king of kings and lord of lords, with unparalleled majesty is the head of the church. And next I go to look into his eyes, his tender eyes. 
Jesus looks upon people with love, adoration, justice, tenderness and compassion. Eyes that are filled with the tears of mercy, grace, love and compassion. Eyes that are also filled with rage and injustice and sin and the effects of sin. His penetrating eyes that can separate flesh and spirit. This Jesus who is kind and sympathetic, whose look of love and a world that is separated from God and a world that he is calling back into an active relationship with God. The love Jesus had when he wept in the garden as he sweated drops of blood before he was betrayed and crucified. And then there is Jesus the wise man. When Jesus spoke words, people were amazed. They were astounded that he spoke with elegance and yet with authority. They had never heard anyone speak like he did with both grace and authority. And the same is true today if we're listening. That's why we read the Bible to find out what he would say to us. That is why we seek to hear him speak to us and why we speak to him. That is why preaching is to be seen as an act of worship by both the preacher and the listener. And then strong. Jesus is strong enough and capable enough to carry any burden that we can lay upon him. Jesus Christ gives a solid and sure foundation for all aspects of human life today. It's totally relevant. If something has a solid foundation, it will not fall and cannot be destroyed. Indeed, Jesus Christ will never fall or decay, such as his imperishability as the everlasting God. Jesus Christ is solid, dependable and strong. Nobody and nothing can stand against him. And if we are truly his, then we ought not to fear or worry about anything, for we will be under his protection forever. So unique, majestic, tender, wise, strong, and now finally lovely. My Jesus oozes loveliness. It gives out a sense of exaltation and joy. And joy is not always externalized loudly as some people think, but it's also internalized or can be internalized quietly. So if somebody is filled with joy, don't always expect it to be seen. Jesus is altogether lovely and lovely altogether. Jesus is beyond compare for the things he has done and the things he will do. He is altogether lovely in regard to his person, his humanity, his birth, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his exaltation, his glorification, his grace, his protection, his tenderness, his power, his wisdom, his vengeance, his judgment, his majesty, his redemption and pardon. And I could go on and on. That is my Jesus. Unique, majestic, tender, wise, strong and lovely. I ask you again. Is this your Jesus? That is my Jesus who, whom I seek to serve and obey every second of every day of every year. This Jesus I seek to obey in every facet of life. And it is this Jesus whom I depend upon and personally know to be totally reliable in every way. But so what, you may say, those outside the church certainly ask it. As I go about my daily business, I know that he has always been dependable and goes ahead of me. Amazing. This is the Jesus who commands self-sacrifice and obedience. This Jesus who commands his followers to rely solely on his sacrifice and their dependence upon him for all things. Jesus Christ who commands all his followers to a, a life of total obedience to him and him alone. 
This Jesus who died on a Roman cross 2,000 years ago, who is the same Jesus who was raised from the dead without decay into newness of life and who ascended to the right hand of God the Father. There is only one Saviour for the world and there will never be another. And despite the bleeding of other religions and faiths, Jesus never said, I am a true vine, a way, a truth and a life, just as he did not say, I am a shepherd, a door, a light or a bread of life. No, Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth and the only life. Jesus is the only great shepherd and the only door to life with God. Jesus is the only light of the world and the only bread of life. Jesus calls everyone to partake of the nourishment and shelter only he can provide. And sadly, very sadly, only a few respond yes. Are you one of those? And then thirdly, there's the wow factor. What does wow stand for, I hear you asking yourself? It means worthy of worship. Jesus Christ most certainly is that. The Jesus wow factor involves Jesus being radical and relevant. Even a very brief look at the Gospels will reveal that about Jesus. Some people even back then didn't get Jesus and people still don't get him 2,000 years later. And whose fault's that? It's not Jesus' fault that people today still don't respond to him. It's a result of the church and Christians down through the ages, including today, not following Jesus and obeying his commands as closely as they could or they should. People out there, outside the church, are looking at the church and Christians, looking at how we behave, how we speak, how we drive our cars, and looking to see if we are any different to them, and looking to see what difference Jesus Christ has made in our lives. They are looking, even if they don't know that they are looking. That's why my parents thought churches were dangerous places, and Christians were all brainwashed and deluded people. They didn't hesitate to tell me that is what they thought about Christianity. But I responded to the call of Jesus Christ, rebelled against my parents, and became a follower of him some 30 years ago. You could say I am the, the white sheep of my family, so far anyway. And fourthly, we are to be little Jesuses. The word Christian means little Jesus. When living in London after church each Sunday, we will go to this one particular Chinese restaurant for lunch each time. Often as a group of uh, uh, 12, 15, 20 of us entered and walked up the stairs to take our seats, they would say, there go the little Jesuses. These uh, uh, restaurant staff would mean it mockingly, but we took it as a compliment, because that's what being a Christian is to be, a little Jesus. In our local community, wherever we happen to live, work or be, we are to live lives worthy of Jesus Christ being transformed by the Holy Spirit who lives inside, inside each one of us as if we are his and being totally and willingly obedient to him. Loving God and loving others by showing compassion, helping others and being the voice of Jesus Christ to a community out there which is rapidly declining. The world out there in this community will know you and I are Jesus' followers if we are obedient to him, practically showing love to all. Oh, that we as the church would love each other instead of fighting with each other. Imagine this community transformed for Jesus Christ 
having got the wow factor. Imagine this community filled with people seeking to know about our Jesus because the Christians here of all churches were sacrificing their time and possessions, wanting in every aspect of life to give Jesus Christ the glory and honour that is worthy of his name alone, just as they did in Acts chapter 2. Loving God and loving others, as he commanded, would spread the wow factor through our community, through our local communities, both large and small, transformed communities of people devoted to Jesus Christ and experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit and bringing people back to God the Father. The wow factor is not always an exuberant experience, but also covers the silent, contemplative, and gobsmacking experiences. Jesus Christ doesn't just live in the loud, as some would proclaim, but also in the quiet, where the small, still voice of God is whispered. Don't be like the only man who left Jesus' presence in sorrow, Let me read about him to you, Matthew 19, verse 16 to 30, from the message. Another day a man stopped Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Jesus said, Why do you question me about what's good? God is the one who is good. If you want to enter the life of God, just do what he tells you. The man asked, What in particular? Jesus said, Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie. Honour your father and mother and love your neighbour as you do yourself. The young man said, I've done all that, what's left? If you want to give it all you've got, Jesus replied, go sell your possessions, give everything to the poor. All your wealth will then be in heaven, then come follow me. That was the last thing the young man expected to hear and so crestfallen he walked away. He was holding on tight to a lot of things, and he couldn't bear to let go. As he watched him go, Jesus told his disciples, Do you have any idea how difficult it is for the rich to enter God's kingdom? Let me tell you, it's easier to gallop a camel through a needle's eye than for the rich to enter God's kingdom. The disciples were staggered. Then who has any chance at all? Jesus looked hard at them and said, No chance at all if you think you can pull it off yourself. Every chance in the world if you trust God to do it. Then Peter chimed in, We left everything and followed you. What do we get out of it? Jesus replied, Yes, you have followed me. In the recreation of the world when the Son of Man will rule gloriously, you who have followed me will also rule starting with the twelve tribes of Israel. And not only you, but anyone who sacrifices home, family, fields, whatever because of me, will get it all back a hundred times over, not to mention the considerable bonus of eternal life. This is the great reversal, many of the first ending up last, and the last first. Now, riches aren't necessarily a problem, but they were for that man because nothing could take precedence over them. They were his God, as it were, and he was placing all his trust in them, even if he didn't realise it at the time. What are you placing your trust in, over and above Jesus Christ? So how can we conclude this? 
If you're already in a relationship with him, he wants to give you freedom, true independence, to live a life worthy of him. Is Jesus Christ your whole life, and your whole life Jesus Christ? That means, does he have total authority over every aspect of your life? All aspects of life, such as relationships, family, work, bank accounts, possessions, worries and troubles, and by authority I mean power. Following him and carrying your own cross means just that, a life sacrifice for him and obedience to him alone. Jesus wants to influence every area of your life, not just certain parts you're willing to give up to him, but all aspects of life. He demands it, he commands it. Jesus Christ came to earth to give comfort to the uncomfortable, and we are to do the same. Give comfort to those in need. Maybe you're feeling the desolation and loneliness because of decisions made in the past. Give it up willingly to Jesus, and don't keep trying to take it back like a security blanket. If you have something even partially blocking your relationship with Jesus, get rid of it. Ask him to take it away. And finally, you may not yet be a follower of Jesus Christ here today. I don't know that. If that is you, then accept his call upon you, for he is calling you, urging you to return to a relationship with God through him and him alone. You may not get another chance. Usually with a small, still, beckoning voice, Jesus whispers, Come, come and follow me alone. This Jesus wants to connect with you in an intimate, dynamic, active and spiritual relationship. Remember his eyes wander the earth looking for those wanting to submit themselves willingly to him. If that is you, then please do speak to somebody today about finding out how you can start this relationship with the living God, Jesus Christ. And he calls you by name. Jesus says to all here, Come, let me get in the driving seat and you hold on to me. Follow me and follow me wholeheartedly and with all aspects of your life obey me alone. I will take all your burdens, give you true freedom and independence and help you in all aspects of life. Come and follow me. And as I conclude, let me read to you something C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, Mere Christianity, about my Jesus. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, where you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. 
He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Jesus, the wow factor. Thank you.